Hi, everybody. <laughs> this is The Allegory Story. My name is Tegan Aline. My name is Nell Nevis. And uh, this is our second podcast, so we're like figuring some things out. Yep. It's all been very fun and exciting so far. Um, in our last podcast, Mel kind of led us through the story of Sleeping Beauty. And today we're going to be talking about another like classical princess fairy tale, um, which is Cinderella. <laughs> so you told me in the last podcast you didn't really like Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. I never really liked it either. What was what's your take or thoughts on Cinderella? I mean, the Disney version. I loved the mice. I loved that there was a fairy that sang yes. bibbity bobbity boo. Um, I'm a an animal lover, so the fact that you know I I can go to the park, like I'll go to High Park sometimes, mm -hmm. um, and have birds eat, and like little birds will come and come and eat out of my hand and I Girl, feel like stop. one of those <laughs> yeah I've got pictures actually so I loved that aspect of Cinderella that particular I aspect I like absolutely adore I think there's a lot of people that gravitate to the fact that she's so kind to animals so mm -hmm. I totally get that and you just reminded me of the most wild thing so originally we were supposed to tape this podcast last week and we found out my computer is a big old baby and it wouldn't really we couldn't do it so after you and I did this podcast Michael and I went to the grocery store and we were in the grocery store and I kid you not bippity boppity boo was playing on the music <laughs> in the grocery store and Michael and I were like have you this is so wild like have you ever heard of a Disney song being played, never mind in a grocery store, but like in a French grocery store. Oh, oh and that was it. the thing. It was in French. It was in it French. Was the whole French? song was in oh. French. It was weird and like freaky. That. Yeah, it was cool. I said, to How like, does Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo go in French? Well, it's, they still like, say Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. It's well, just I like know, the but rest like, of the words are in French. The rest of it. I don't know. Put it together and what do you got? It's in French, oh but I, I can't translate that. So uh, for double reference, uh, Mel and I are friends from Toronto. We know each other from Toronto. She still lives in Toronto, but I live in the, I live in France now and I live in the, in the southwest of France. And I'm particularly mentioning it because it's going to come up today because there's a lot of <laughs> French connection to these stories that I didn't originally like realize was a thing you know what I mean I, yeah. I had no idea it's crazy how connected they are and especially when you look at the Disney version because I think that Walt Disney took a lot from specifically the French origin yeah. rather than like the Grimm's fairy tale origin which is also right very intriguing <laughs> Right. So you know what? I'll be dead honest with you. When I did my research for this, I didn't go too far into the grim fairy tale side of it because I kind of get like grim fairy tales are kind of famous for their in their own way, in their own right. And I feel like they're yeah. versions of a lot of these stories, but they're they're dark, right? Like they're so dark. And I'll, I'll tell you it later, whether it's on the podcast or not. Like I've got a whole book of grim fairy tales that I've had for years. So yeah. I'm familiar with them, but yeah. 
<laughs> I grew I grew up with the collection of Grimm's fairy tales when I was younger, and I was always really confused reading them because I was like, I don't understand. But all this to say, I think that the Grimm's fairy tales thing can be a, a whole like episode in its own own right. Like maybe yeah, it could be its own thing, like so we don't have to go into it. But more to yeah. say that Disney, like Walt Disney, focused at least for Cinderella, I think more so on the French side like the the French French version version. yeah 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 so for me when I was growing up I absolutely loved the Cinderella story it was my movie I don't really know what exactly pulled me to it when I was young probably the dress because we all know like I'm a total (laughs) simp for fashion so that probably had something to do with it um but I never knew how how that story was gonna weave in and out of my life as I grew and whatever and I think over the last couple of years especially with like social media apps like TikTok we've seen a lot of like heavy criticism of even Twitter has done a lot of heavy criticism of Cinderella Uh, claiming that it's a story about a woman who just sits and waits, uh, you know, for a a man to come and save her. And I really, really feel like that um, really devalues like the character of Cinderella and the role that she plays. And like, this is kind of strictly in the context of the, the Disney story, the story that's connected to uh, Charles who we talked about in the last podcast. We'll talk about him more later. But Mm -hmm. I really think that it kind of uh, represses who she was because I think one of the things that people like about her so much is that she was like a very compassionate person. My mom used to call her, when I was a little girl, my mom used to call her the first humanitarian. And I don't know if that's like actually like a true thing to say really, but... (laughs) Like, it's not. (laughs) And let it be known, I am not a historian, nor, and a lot of this is going to be speculation. But I get what my mom's point was. And I think Mm -hmm. it was that the fact that she believed in, she believed in people like people could make mistakes, she she would still be kind to them. And also she cared a lot about animals. And I was trying to like look that up before this podcast. Like, is there a name for a person that cares about people and animals and nature like all in one? Is there one name for that? But I couldn't find anything. <laughs> no. Can you think of one? No, what came to mind is not true. Or like the word that came to mind was just druid. But I think that really just... (laughs) Well, you know, it's really funny that you say that. Okay, so like on that note, we'll dive into the history a little bit because it's really interesting. Um, Apparently, the oldest story of like the oldest version of Cinderella actually comes from 7 BC. So... Is that the seventh? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a Greek story told by a geographer named Strabo. I hope I'm saying mm-hmm. that right. I don't really know. Um, in the story of Rhodopis. So I've heard in, of this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell, tell. You've heard of this. So I in have, this, yeah. this is the story about how a Greek slave girl ends up marrying the Egyptian king who was ruling over the area at the time. And in this story, basically, she's bathing and an eagle 
comes and picks up her sandal and flies all the way to where this king is, <laughs> drops it, drops it in his lap. And I got the idea based on the story that probably it was quite a diff- distance that this eagle flies to drop off this shoe. But mm-hmm. he drops off this sandal in the king's lap. The king is like the king of Egypt at the time, the pharaoh, I guess I should say. I hope. I don't know. I don't know a lot of I haven't explored my Egyptian history yet. But anyways, he's sitting in an open air space, you know, like delegating justice. People are coming to court saying like this thing happened, whatever. And then all of a sudden this sandal drops in his lap and he looks at it and he finds it like really interesting and unique and he becomes fascinated with it. And this spurs him to now find the woman that this sandal belongs to. It ends up being this Greek slave girl and she ends up marrying this king and becomes like a a queen basically. Okay. So that's, yeah. So that's kind of like the original story. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think from the beginning, you know, I've heard people call Cinderella pick me girl. And I've in the past have been kind of like offended by that. But I do see the context for it the more I explore the story well, of it. But it's not her choice. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, it's kind of interesting because to me, even this version of Cinderella, it plays into the issue of class quite a bit. Absolutely. Yes. Right? So even and that- it's, it's interesting to see that even back in like 6th, 7th century BCE, um, that this was it still carries through with the, the European versions of the tales that came about later. Yes. Yeah. And that's a really important observation. Cause I also had the same observation. Um, and it's something I, I wanted to talk about because even in the very beginning of the story, the, there is some type of moral underlining about, you know, being chosen and mm-hmm. being able to, change your life by being chosen and pretty woman of her time yes yes (laughs) thousand and one percent yes and I think this is really important when we start to look at like the the French adaptation of this story but before the French adaptation we have this the oldest version which is this Greek story it also appears in different variations and forms through Um, in Chinese culture, Vietnamese, Cambodian, Japanese, there's different variations of it that Mm -hmm. come from the 8th century and on. So not, who's to say where the story even started first? Did the Romans or like the Greeks spread it out east? We don't know, but the story got around. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting how it did get around. I mean, I remember reading at one point just with European like the European versions alone, that there are over like 500 of them. Yeah. Right. And, and then you take into consideration the fact that there's also versions in Asia and in Africa and like all over the place. Yes. Like it's crazy it even, how it travels. It even makes its way into somehow into Arabic literature in the stories of Arabian, Arabian nights, basically. Cool. Oh my god. So there's a, a version. Sorry. I got a really nice copy of that recently at PMP. 
Sorry. That's exciting. No, I'm excited because I think as we, as we follow these stories, they're going to like kind of take us around the world in a way. And especially when we start to like hone in on different cultures and their stories as we go further, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. It's exciting. Like that is exciting. I'm excited (laughs) for you to have that book. As we kind of continue, like I said, there's tons of different references, different versions of this story that go on and on. I think there's many, many listed online. Um, And then we kind of come to the 12th century in Europe again. So medieval era era Mm -hmm. again um, with the story taking on a new name. So it often has different names. It's been called Cinderella. It's been called uh, the the glass slipper. It's also been called in French. uh, Where is it in my notes? (laughs) (laughs) I started to write really small because I was like, Ah, here we go. So in the 12th century, it comes into Europe and in France, actually, as Le Frenne. And Le Frenne is a story, similar story to the rest of them, except right. things start to change. Le Frenne is like the story, it, the translation is the Ash Girl. Oh, so, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it gets double interesting because at this time, the Ash Girl is not referring to cinders from a fire, like as we know in uh in in the classical story mm-hmm. the ash girl is actually referring to the ash tree because there are adaptations of the story early adaptations medieval adaptations where cinderella's mother dies and when she's buried she's buried and they plant an ash tree on top of her grave and this is where interesting yeah and this is where cinderella goes to pray or goes when she's sad there's other adaptations as well where she's a twin and she's given to she's given to um an orphanage and there's an ash tree there that she's praying to so there's interesting Uh, oh okay yeah okay i wonder how was it just language, de- like development of language that transitioned this from the ash tree, like her being an ash girl, like, and connected with the ash tree to her being an ash girl covered in cinders? I think it, honestly, I think it's probably like with the times as things change. So I did a mm-hmm. little bit of digging into, so you have to think of medieval, medieval France in the 12th century would have been much far after, way, way after Roman invasion. France would have been more like France at this point. But like, Mm -hmm. there's still those old symbolisms. Like even to this day living in France, there's still old symbolisms kind of through everything. So when I looked into like, you know, like what the symbolism is behind an ash tree, it was really interesting because what ended up coming up was immortality protection and being reborn oh so i think as this story grows the meanings behind all of these things and i never even even when you think of uh, cinderella being covered in ash i never really thought about it before but um there is that whole like sense of phoenix 
rising. You know what I mean? Like coming out of the, literally coming True, out of the ashes, right, yeah, which I, which yes. I never thought about. And I think that in some ways that theme kind of like plays over as the story evolves. It might be also part of why the story was carried for so long throughout time, because it's, mm-hmm. it's really like, a story about hopefulness for a singular person that a singular person's like life can be changed and I think that's the positive message of it but I also (laughs) think like most like most things in our society in our world I also think that the Cinderella story was was used as a look over there kind of situation (laughs) if you know what I mean very well it could be yes yeah absolutely And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So in in one of the adaptations of Cinderella from this era, um, her mother is buried, um, and then they plant the ash tree on top. And so instead of having a fairy godmother, it's actually the spirit of her mother coming to her through the ash tree, helping her. Oh, I like that change. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Actually, it's sweet. And yeah, I think. I think it does actually play over into like the more modern adaptations of Cinderella because her, like even the most, I think the most recent one is the Disney live action one. And uh, her mother's kind of like persistent there that she should like always be kind and loving and that kind of. Yes. So I think you can kind of see that energy still remains. Yeah. So, okay. I kind of like that better than the fairy godmother, though, to be completely honest. And I think it's also maybe just the fact that people were so much more comfortable with death at that point. And as we became less comfortable with it, that's where fairy godmothers started to play more of a role of like magical beings coming into play to act as a guardian, maybe. Maybe. I don't know how, I don't know how medieval Europe felt about death. I think they probably didn't like, there was like oh, a were, lot of death going they on. They didn't like it, but I think that, I think that they, it was so common, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It, they were a lot more used to it than we are now. There's something comforting about the idea of like somebody dies and the, their spirit can be connected still through nature. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's really interesting. That's like a, a rare maybe not so rare but like a more rarer example of seeing that idea of like spirit in being connected through nature coming out in an in a European story you know we see that a lot in other cultural stories but not so much in European ones yeah well yeah because I think a lot of European I mean a lot of tales in general are just like civilization versus nature and the two battle it out. And that's right? why like this... the epic of Gilgamesh is like that too. And that's why these stories are kind of interesting because, well, at least in the story, you kind of feel like that blend. And even in the story we talked about last week, Sun, Moon, Talia, it felt like there was more of a combination of those things. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we get to... Now we get to this Italian guy that we talked about last week. And I can never use Jean-Baptiste Basile. Jean-Baptiste right? Basile. I, I don't know if yeah. that's how you pronounce it, but I'm I'm taking your lead on that one because I, I also don't know if that's how you pronounce it. So apologies to anyone that we've offended. Listen, guys, we are not <laughs> historians. We are not like 
official. We just love this stuff and we geek for it and we're doing our best. So <laughs> bear with us. We're trying to connect the dots. <laughs> and the more we read and the more we learn, the more we'll grow, right? I think. So yeah, um, he writes this book called the Pentum, what is it? <laughs> Pentamarone. But thank you. Your Italian accent's fantastic. Pentamarone, <laughs> where he has now collected a, a series of folktales. And we talked about this in the podcast a bit last week. So it also included Sleeping Beauty. It includes this story, Cinderella. It includes uh, Little Red Riding Hood, which is another one we're going to cover. And some, I think Puss in Boots is one as well. Yeah, a very loose version of it. Yeah. So I want to say like... I mean, technically, they call this the first, like, European literary version of a collection of these stories. Um, so that's kind of, I don't totally get that, but I get it, I get it based on timelines, because Greece wasn't really part of Europe, but, like... Well, it's the first published yeah, version. First published book. Yeah. And then, um, 63 years later... Uh, we get a rewrite of almost the same, I think the exact same set of stories, but in French. Yep, very similar. Mm -hmm. By a guy named Charles Perrault. And I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Any of my French people listening, please don't crucify me if I didn't say that right. <laughs> he writes a book in 1697 called The Histoire, Un Conte de Temps Passé which is like the history of stories of time past, basically. Mm -hmm. And so he translates these, this other book that was written in Italian. He now translates it into French. And this for me is actually where the story gets really interesting, really, really interesting. I geeked out and I kind of went a bit down a rabbit hole as to what was going on in and around the time that he wrote this adaptation and I think it's really interesting <laughs> it is really interesting because I feel like again these fairy tales with each adaptation it's really indicative of the society at the time and I think that is very clearly expressed in Perrault's version right so Charles Perrault right he's a secretary um, he's a secretary to the minister to King Louis the 14th. Mm. King Louis okay. the 14th, aka <laughs> the sun god, uh, the sun king. So picture now in He's your mind. Extravagant Louis the 14th. So picture now in your mind Versailles, because he created Versailles. It's very pretty there. Yeah. And he created it's, it's so nice. <laughs> Side note, Michael and I, okay, this is super funny and a side note and not relevant to like where I'm going with this. Well, it kind of is. I don't know. Michael and I went to Versailles a few years ago. And when we were walking through, we saw all these like really cheesy portraits of like, you know, like French guys yeah, from, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from, from the 1600s. And um, Michael and I were kind of giggling at how floofy like all of the but all of the portraits were, but we actually saw the portrait of Charles Perrault. And at the time I saw it and I just thought, 
this guy's hair is really fluffy. <laughs> and then when I was doing the research for this, I kind of like looked him up and I saw the portrait and I was like, hey, I know that portrait. Oh, I saw that, that is in Versailles. That is, that's a massive <laughs> wig. Oh, he's floof. So it's so funny. It's so funny because I actually remembered that face, <laughs> but I had no idea. And th this is the thing I love about stories and about history and the crossover of stories and history. It's like four years ago when I went to Versailles and I saw that guy's portrait, I just thought he had floofy hair. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he wrote the adaptation of the story that would like so closely like you know, connect with me and I would carry this story through my whole life. I'd be a defender of Cinderella to like the end of my days. I mean, it's, yeah. So he, wait, he was the secretary to the minister and he still got his portrait up in Versailles? Well, okay. So this is what happens. So basically uh, the minister is like very close with the king, King Louis the 14th. And mm -hmm. So what King Louis XIV is trying to do at this time is he's trying to end feudalism. Feudalism isn't like a state that people are living in or having awareness of at the time. It's just like the way things were run. So yeah. like there were lords, they had big swaths of land and property. They gave some of that property to people that would work the land and they would get to live there and work the land. And then exchange they would give the stuff over to you know to the lords and the lords would bring it all to the king like there's like that <laughs> thing that's like in my very like rough understanding of like what feudalism what actually is and how it operated yeah. it's clearly like way more complicated and in depth than that but that's like the 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 in a nicole's notes version. yeah <laughs> nicole's notes on feudalism yeah maybe we can dive into that at a different time but anyways so part of the way that king louis the 14th wants to do this is he wants to bring like all of the people like the people that are part of his like royal court he wants to bring them into versailles so he's convincing a whole bunch of them to like come and like live in the the town the city of versailles mm -hmm. and be a part of this like royal court he wants to run everything from the center of france okay so he he works quite closely with the minister and the minister like over the the reign of this king the minister dies and charles perrault is the secretary to this minister when the minister dies he retires and this is when he creates this this book where he's like retelling these stories and you, the reason yeah do you know how old he would have been out of curiosity uh, I don't know actually I'd have to look it up I don't know how old he was when he wrote the book you can I wonder like it. well I wonder how old he was when he was forced into retirement that's interesting okay so he writes <laughs> uh listen this is france it doesn't matter how old it is nobody's forced into retirement oh that's People, like, true gladly go into retirement. They, they do they do it's true he's he's still like that's my assumption again speculation but my like i mean like he's still you know part of a really high noble court at this point and had a pretty high level job so he's just like banking right now yeah <laughs> at this point yeah, yeah. I think. sounds good he's of the so, upper echelon of society 
Right. And that is an important thing to look at here is the upper echelon of society, the aristocrats, the French aristocracy, the bourgeois. Oh, that's mm -hmm. it's the bourgeois. You know, we hear that term like bougie, bourgeois, like when we're talking about bourgeois, we're talking about people that were part of the court of Versailles. Mm -hmm like way back when and of course that the meaning of who those people are has changed throughout time but that's kind of like who they were so right. you know you can think about there's so many stories about Versailles about King Louis XIV about the parties the masquerades the gardens just the pure yeah. lavish luxury excess of it. yes so one of the things that becomes really popular in Versailles at the time is like they'll go into the salon, which is like a living room kind of area, and they'll start telling stories. And Charles kind of like creates this new genre at the time, which is the, the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. He sets the groundwork to create the concept of the fairy tale genre. And with all of these like super fancy, bourgeois, French people, fairy tales start to become stories. So it's really interesting when you think of the story of Cinderella, when you think of the story of Cinderella, you think of the story of her two sisters, and you think about like in the modern, like what we think of as the modern adaptation of the story, there's a king, there's a prince, everybody wants a piece, and they all want a piece. <laughs> And they want to go to this big lavish ball where they get the chance to impress him. This is very much like what was going on in Versailles. At the Interesting. Time. It was like it was actually real life at the time for the society yeah. that he was living in. Oh, I think this is part of his. This is like yeah, this his is contribution his to the yes. story, right? Yeah. So like you know, they all, they're all going into, and that, and you would be, if you were part of the nobles, you would be living in that area. You would be going to parties mm -hmm. and there would be maybe an opportunity. You come across a prince or somebody like this that you fall in love with. And then all of a sudden you're at the top, you know what I mean? Interesting. So okay. it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. It's really interesting. So what we know is he has definitely added that element to this story. And it's the element that I think attracts a lot of people, you know, like even today, like I was watching Bridgerton a few weeks ago, which is about <laughs> the British monarchy, but uh -huh. everything about it is done in French style. Like right. Even the queen, like, obviously we know it's not, it's absolutely not historically accurate, like whatsoever. Yeah. But even the queen, even the way she dresses, it's like indicative of like Marie Antoinette with the really like high wigs and the, the, the big gowns. Yes. Like yes. this, this level of like absurd lavishness is very like Versailles French energy. Mm -hmm. But it's also really important to think about what is happening with the people who are not part of the court at that time. Yeah, that's the part that I'm most intrigued about, I think. And I think right. the majority of the people at that time were obviously not a part of the court. They got upset and off with the heads. Went well, the this, is, this is it. <laughs> yeah. This is it. So, okay. So Charles writes this book. At the time when King Louis XIV is the king. And this is kind of like 
in the height, I want to say, somebody feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but in the height of uh, like Versailles, this lavishness and whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the on the other hand, he is trying to get rid of feudalism. I kind of see these fairy tales as a way of like coaxing people into the idea of the lavishness of it all. But feudalism in a way, like at the time, I would imagine a lot of people instead of like having the situation they had always had, which they had land that they could work and that they could live and they could grow food and harvest on. Mm -hmm. This is now changing, getting taken away. We're introducing new concepts into the economy. And a lot of people probably when any of these things happen in a society, people start to struggle. People start to go through really difficult times. Right. Of course. So you have that happening while, while, and this is what was going on in France, right? So mm-hmm. people know that in the time of Versailles, during Versailles' heyday, and many years to follow, most peasant people, like the peasant people, were suffering and they were struggling and they were getting sick and they were dying. And these bougie people were like off having these elaborate masquerades and (laughs) having ideas of marrying a prince and like Cinderella story. And I think it's really, really interesting because, you know, a lot of the time we either think of one or the other, and we don't think that the two things were actually existing at the same time. Oh, they definitely do. They very, very much were. do. They always do. Wherever there are people who are impoverished, there are others who are profiting off their backs in some way, shape, or form. So what I think is doubly so fascinating is not just the story of Cinderella and the adaptations of it, but the, the timing of it coming out and like coming into society versus what is actually going on in, in French culture and French aristocracy at the time. And this is kind of like what essentially is eventually going to lead to la revolution, mm-hmm. like the great French revolution, right? Yeah. And I think it's King Louis the 16th. So not too far. I mean like in terms of lifespans, yeah, it's actually still quite a bit of years. Yeah. But like I think it's King Louis the 16th that gets beheaded during the revolution he's the king that the people take down so you know it's just it's I just found it really interesting when I was like looking into this the the connection between this and what's going on because I think there's also this sense in Cinderella the modern adaptations where once Cinderella meets the prince and they fall in love, once they finally get to be together, they get to lovingly rule over their subjects with equality and and peace. And I think that this is the political idea that the French aristocracy wanted to put out there at the time. It's the great French dream. They wanted to quell the masses and calm them down to make them think that they could have a better life. They could marry up in the world. Or like, that's what, like, that's what the goal is. Yeah. 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 In fact, it was like a bald face lie. Like, (laughs) yeah, no, they just used it. I mean, it was, it was the media at the time, right? Oral tales were the media at the time. So that's what you use to calm down your people 
what they didn't realize is that as soon as you take away people's bread and there's not enough to go around, that <laughs> it leads to a revolt. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really, really interesting. I never, up until, you know, kind of like diving into the story of this um, for for this podcast, I never associated it with anything closely related to France or the French culture. I guess like in the various forms of the movies, I always got the sense like it was somewhere, it did kind of have like a French feel to it in a certain yeah. way. You always kind of think like it could be somewhere between here, could be like, you know, like, you know, they often make these in these princess movies, they create places that don't actually exist, but it's always got like a vaguely European vibe to it. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. So I never, so, and I, I, and I have to question again, whether or not that's actually like done purposefully or, or not, you know what I mean? In some way. Um, but it's just so fascinating and I never would have connected it this close. And you know, like I'm such a geek for like learning about like French history and I love French medieval history and stuff. So I really didn't expect this, this research to, to go to this. I mean, oh, and at one point I think we were talking about the significance of the glass slipper itself mm -hmm. because oh yeah, you can't right. like, why a glass slipper? It wasn't always in a lot of other fairy tales that are Cinderella based. It's not a glass slipper. There are some where they're actually made of gold and metal and other materials. So why a glass slipper? Because it's not something that you can walk in and you certainly can't dance that's, in it. That's right. We were talking about that last week when we were trying to, to record this <laughs> podcast. And uh, when we looked it up, it actually said it was, what did it say? It was, um, it was kind of like, a side eye <laughs> to King Louis the 14th and his like elaborateness because he's kind of known for being this incredibly like over the top, like very decadent person. And what's more decadent than a glass slipper. So. Yeah. It's crazy because it's just interesting to see how the story evolved. It's yeah. Uh, what was it? Okay. Intended to be a literary mascot of French economic modernity. So it's definitely a tongue-in-cheek mm. reference to Louis the Fourteenth. I just I haven't dove into the history of this time so much yet, but it's really really interesting, and I didn't expect to dive into it through the Cinderella story. <laughs> but now that we're here, it's really fascinating. It's even like this era is really really interesting, not just in terms of stories, in terms of Versailles, in terms of the king. But like even things that other things that I love, like gardens, for example, you and I both geek over gardens. Yeah. <laughs> and like the classic like French garden, I guess when you think of the most famous version, again, you probably think of Versailles. Mm -hmm. This is happening at the same time. And that garden is created like in a way to show that if you can control things, they can be beautiful. You know what I mean? So it's another way in which they're like putting this idea of like, let us control the way everything happens and everybody will be okay, even though it's not really what happens at all. But like that's yeah. the 
constant idea they're putting out in various ways and forms. I think I saw that it was Monty Don that was talking about that in his show, um, French Gardens. That's he a good goes one. into this in depth. <laughs> I don't I know Monty Don. Yeah, I, I love, love Monty Don. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I'm taking those words from his mouth. He talks about that in the in the show. And I would recommend anybody who's listening to this, if you love gardens, to check that series out because it's freaking fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's just another it's another example of like what they were trying to accomplish at that time, which I think is just so interesting. Okay, so it's so, so interesting. Cinderella is interesting because it has the the definitely it's about class and it's about what was going on. Um at the time, specifically in France, at least the version that we're Mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't remember off the top of my head, was her stepmother and like her stepsisters, are they ugly in the tales? Are they described as being ugly? I think they're not necessarily always described as being ugly, but ugly in spirit, ugly in energy, like greedy. Mm -hmm. For sure, ugly in energy. I was just wondering, because like, in a lot of these fairy tales, women are described in two categories. They're either like mm-hmm. innocent, beautiful, uh, pure, kind-hearted. And then, you know, if they stand up for themselves or in this case, you know, if they are mean-spirited. But in a lot of other cases, if they are a little more assertive and they're not not as weak or as passive, they're seen as being ugly. And I was just yeah, trying to remember true. if that is the case with Cinderella as well. Well, I think, I mean, um, in the other story, well, there's so many different variations of the mm-hmm. story. Some of the stories, some of the stories, she's a twin, you know what I mean? And to, and the, and the, the sibling is a boy, you know what I mean? So Interesting. like, yeah. So, and you know, when these things get told as folk tales, they probably weave in and out with other stories. But like, oh, for sure. if we're looking, if we're looking at the more modern version, and I say modern, it's like from the 16th century, <laughs> 16th or 17th century, 17th century. Um, like it, when you're looking like that's still quite a while ago. But if you're looking at that particular story, I think also there's that other hidden message about yeah if you want to be accepted if you want to be accepted as a good woman you have to be a certain kind of way you have to be kind you can't be looked at as like I don't know what people today might call like a gold digger like I think they really kind of give that energy yeah to the mother and her two sisters you know so there's that idea of like you can't have to want it basically you can't have to want it but you have to be detected dependent on a man in order to determine your place in society mm-hmm. yeah that's so not this, an oxymoron you know, at all <laughs> I always saw like I guess because I was I was raised with like the Disney version of Cinderella I always saw it in a different way I actually I always saw the maybe just the parts that they wanted us to see so like the kind girl the noble guy and Mm -hmm. like them being good people together that was kind of like the message that got drilled home to me through it growing up and like you know being able to like feed birds from your hands and just being like (laughs) that kind of kind soft feminine energy that you could you could do that Mm -hmm. but I mean 
go doing this like deeper dive in and exploring the story more I mean you can really see that throughout time there's a lot of like hidden indirect messages about um, the way people should behave not just women but like society there's a lot of conversation around classism there's a lot of conversation around honestly I think it's also like a lot of misogynist takes in it there there is and ultimately like it's about money though like even the whole stepmother trope where Mm -hmm. this this happens in a lot of fairy tales and it was also just because it happened commonly at the time where women would pass away because of childbirth or just people were dying earlier anyways and you would have men remarry and they would remarry and have children with this new woman um but that stepmother and their children would often view the first child the child from the first marriage as a threat because there was an inheritance at play especially when you're talking about aristocracy there would be an inherent inheritance at play and so i think that this wicked stepmother that exists in a lot of fairy tales was very much you know kind of reflecting the aristocracy and poking fun at it in a little bit and then it just became a trope that was used over and over again but ultimately it comes down to money like they are in direct competition yeah, you can't want money. You can't own your own money. So I I will hand it off. Like, I think that's why the Disney chain is so famous as they are and popular as they are, because they do adapt their stories as time adapts. And, you know, there's a whole conversation versus like the cartoon that came out when we were little kids mm-hmm. to the to the recreated movie that came out like a few years ago now. Um, but I found like, I don't know. Have you seen the the live action film? of Cinderella? I haven't. Is it very different? Girl! Oh my God. I've seen it <laughs> twice. I've seen it twice in the movie theaters. And one time I saw it on mushrooms <laughs> and it was fucking amazing. <laughs> it's a really good, like, I'm not promoting mushrooms, but I'm just saying it was a good movie to see. <laughs> if you're going to watch a movie on mushrooms, that's the one. It was fun. Like dresses, (laughs) floaty, butterfly. Oh my gosh, you have to watch that. Oh, it's so good. Anyways, um, it's so beautiful. But what they, Kate Blanchett. So she's like a phenomenal actress. Yeah, she's amazing. So she she plays the stepmother and never has anybody done such a good job or like a good representation Mm. of that like she does. But they have adapted the story to kind of, give that sense of that her bitterness kind of comes from the fact that she was married, she was happy. And then her husband died and she lost everything. So her only choice is to, you know, remarry. Right. And this is because she's not, doesn't have the right to own anything. This is where her, her bitterness and her resentment kind of grows Mm -hmm. out of that. So it explains that side. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting that they kind of adapted it. You know, they've done a lot of different adaptations as as time has gone on, but I think it was really good that they adapted it to um, to include that. It doesn't make her treatment of Cinderella any less brutal or bitchy, <laughs> but I mean, it does give a fuller context. And I think like in the early versions of these stories, 
honestly, up until recently, in almost all of these versions, kind of like you said, the woman is either good or she's a villain. And the villain element is very one-sided. There's no nuance. There's no understanding of she's just a horrible woman. And I think that really sucks because we also see that played out in society in real life where people will just assume that a person is just a bad person based on something bad that they did without knowing the context of their life story, right? Have you ever read any of the books by Gregory Maguire? Mm -mm. No? Okay, so he wrote um, Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister and Mm. A Lion Among Men, Son of a Witch, uh, Wicked. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I really liked his books. If you're interested in like a perspective on the other side it explains why the stepsisters are the way they are why like it gives you the other side of why these people maybe are so bitter because we often lose track just in daily life we are narrow-minded we'll receive one perspective and then be like well that's the perspective and like this other person must be shunned there's always another side to the story there's always two sides to the coin and that's not to say that the stepsisters and stepmother are in the clear, but there is a reason that they're acting the way that they are. And just getting that other perspective, while it might not make you forgive someone or think that what they're doing is okay, you might just understand a little bit more. It might just explain. Yeah, new- nuance is important. For yeah, anybody, absolutely. Like, th- there was a trend, I think, during COVID that was like on TikTok called No Nuance. November, right? Where like people Mm -hmm. are just giving their hot takes and it's a great algorithm driver and booster. But honestly, it it made me cringe because I was like, you need nuance and you need context for like everything. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting though, because like, if you think of it from like a societal historical place, many of these stories for years and years weren't get, like it's only the very modern adaptations that are giving context and like creating context and creating nuance mm-hmm. so prior to that it's just a story about like um it's just the story as it is and people are learning from that that's the amazing things about stories is they teach us of a lot of things about how society is and the way to be in society. That's what, that's part of what their power is. So it's Mm -hmm. really interesting to like cut that nuance out on that one side for so like, we're talking like centuries, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and to see, see what, see what happens from that. It's quite, it's quite wild. It's quite interesting. Yeah. (laughs) We should do a little thing at some point. I was talking about this with one of my friends, but it would be cool to do, Part of a series where we can com- do a comparison of the tale with the movie adaptation that goes with it. Oh God, I love that. If that's <laughs> if that's something anybody listening would like to to us to do, let us know because that's super cool. Okay, so we're kind of running out of time here. I think yep. we've said a lot to, on this. There's, it's, it's <laughs> a, a really good conversation, but I appreciate, I appreciate this story so much more now because it like opened up so many interesting thoughts and conversations. Um, but before we go, I wanted to ask you, like if you had to pick an adaptation of 
Cinderella that you liked the most that you know of? Like it could be film, it could be a book, it could be the Grimm's version, whatever. What would it be? I mean, the Grimm Brothers adaptation is probably my favorite. It's, um, I have a thing for weird, dark, twisted stories, apparently. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. So without giving too much away on the Grimm's version, I think we're going to end up doing uh, a, a podcast specifically dedicated to the Grimm's versions of these tales. So we'll keep you guys posted on that for sure when we do it. Yeah, it'll be available on our Patreon. Yeah. I would have to say that my favorite adaptation of this story is the 1998 movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore. Oh, I absolutely I forgot about that. Okay. Love that. I love it so much. It's for sure my favorite one. And I think it's like the beginning of... <clears throat> We start to see her starting asserting herself as a character, getting some more of her. She's way more stubborn and way more independent mm-hmm. in that story. Um, also in the the opening, I was watching the opening before before we got together. And um, the lady is who's retelling the story is actually telling it to the Brothers Grimm because she thinks that their version is a bit... <laughs> a bit... <laughs> yeah a bit well, ouchy <laughs> their version is definitely ouchy oh okay I completely forgot yeah. about ever after that is yeah that is a cute movie oh my gosh okay never mind the fact that I watched the movie preview before we did this and they have Lorena McKennon like doing the what is that Lorena McKennon had a really famous song in the late 90s the mummers dance I don't know if you know this song oh, not off so the top obsessed. of my head Maybe what? if I heard it, oh, you have. I'll, I'll search you for have it after. Homework. <laughs> I, I'll search for it afterwards. I give you homework. Just literally, just look up the uh, the ever after like trailer because it's okay. in the trailer. It's such a good song. I'm like a huge fan of Lorena McKenna, and if people don't know, Lorena McKenna is kind of like a Celtic music world music artist. She's amazing, um, but her her vibe is so cool, and I love it. And um, yeah, so they kind of use her song to kind of open up the story of Ever After. But there's just something about the way that they combine the story, the way that they combine it with like Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance Hmm. and like all of this kind of stuff that I think really makes ever after what, like one of the best adaptations of Cinderella. Okay. Maybe I'll watch it um, later. Oh, have you seen it? Yeah. I just, I need a refresher. Like it's been so many years since I've seen it. It's probably, it's been over a decade. That one either. No, it's been over a decade though. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth a rewatch. Yeah. And the coolest thing is, is I did some research when I moved to Toulouse not too long. Like when I moved to Toulouse a couple of years ago, I moved there in 2016. So I think it was probably like around 2018. I was watching the movie again because I love it. And I did some research and there's like a whole bunch of the filming locations are not so far here oh, from where I live. Really? Have you gone on your own little tour? Not yet, but I mean, you know, I'm starting <laughs> to develop tours around uh, the southwest of France, so I would love to do a Cinderella tour one day. Um, I'll go like on it would the be tour. like a, it would do like it would be like a film location tour type thing, but yeah, that'd be fun. Really... But but the that you live in is so beautiful, so yeah. Great. So it would be really it would be interesting. <laughs> it's something I would love to do. Maybe the next time you guys come and visit, I we can we can do it. We'll just like figure yeah, it out. Yeah, we can go and we trip. could also get, 
we can get some of um what was that wine that you discovered in Toulouse of the oh you um, mean like the hip like the hippocras 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 yeah Oh yeah, we can, that's we can like go on tour and have some hippocras. It'd be lovely. I didn't I <laughs> so I didn't even tell you guys. So I didn't know about it when you were here. Um but after yeah. you guys left, you found the shop, right? I, f- I found a shop that had way more variants and they have they also have a medieval oh. variant that's made with blackberries. They also have a a renaissance variant that's made with violets. Ooh, that's pretty. And they have a Gallo Roman version that's, that's made cool. with rosemary. That's really cool. I know. Honestly, I would have gotten them had I known when you guys were. You just have to come back. Basically. Yeah, it's fine. We'll come back. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, this has been such a fun, interesting journey. I love watching how story, like stories, like fairy tales, can like interweave with history and influence people and all of these things like that so thank you guys so much for listening and what are we talking about in the next one i'm going to be talking about snow white which is ooh, this is a good and this is going to take us in a bit of a different direction for a while yeah okay yeah well yeah there's two directions that i'm gonna take it in but we'll get there yay Okay. Okay. We'll get there. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening and let us know if there's a story that you want us to talk about. We are always open and we love to learn. Um, so yeah, let us know. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day or night or or wherever you are, (laughs) whatever you're doing. We'll see you next time.